facilitate individuals. Uh, this is costing taxpayers across America $80 billion a year. You're listening to the news on RTHK. That's going to create more turbulence. The economics that this takes. A triple dead recession. Collapsing commodities. Monetary policy has to do the heavy lifting work. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Janet Yellen favors tightening in a prudent and gradual manner. Goldman Sachs's uh, Q2 earnings slump while Citigroup's profits jump as its restructuring takes off. And Google tops estimates as the search engine curbs costs. Asian futures are signaling another day of gains with stocks headed for their best week since April. This is amid flickers of a resolution to Greece's debt crisis. The euro is near a seven-week low and oil has held its losses. We'll talk more about markets with Relegare Capital Markets' Adrian Gornel. That's uh, right before Hong Kong's Institute of Brokers, uh, excuse me, Institute of Bankers, Carrie Lung and Hong Kong Computer Society's Michael Lung, uh, Join us with their latest cross-sector cooperation uh, between uh, IT and finance. Richard Harris is back in the chair as guest host. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. And welcome back to Money for Nothing. It's so great to see you. Yeah, it is. And, and it's also my birthday today, so I've, I've made a special effort to come well, in. Well, I was going to say that next, but, you know, you beat me to it. So happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> nice to be 25 again. Oh, and you, you look uh, not a day over 24, so, oh. you know, we're doing something right here. I'll pay you later. <laughs> okay. The latest weekly job figures from the U.S. Labor Department suggest that the economy is continuing to pick up steam, Richard. Is that why Janet Yellen is so upbeat? It, it is. In, in fact, it's quite interesting that she's obviously come out now in order to make quite a statement that, hey, interest rates are going up and get used to it. Um, Dame Janet actually is quite a dove. She's not necessarily in favour of, uh, uh, of interest rates going up and high interest rates, which I think is why interest rates have stayed for so low for so long. Um, but it certainly looks as if it's time uh, that it's actually going to happen. And what about Draghi? You know, he appears to have gone from doing whatever it takes a few years ago to now using all instruments available to save the euro area economy. Yeah, he's not a man who likes to sit on the fence, is he? Um, he's, um, he actually gave apparently a very good uh, talk last night. Um, it looks as if the route is clear towards supporting Greece. The Greece have voted yes. A number of the other markets have voted yes as well. Uh, so it looks as if it's going ahead. And uh, the Greeks are about to get uh, 900 million euros to see if they can kick, get the banks kick-started. All right. All things look good on a Friday. Greek banks are expected to reopen in the coming days after the European Central Bank raised the level of emergency funding available to them, as Richard just mentioned. The ECB announcement came after the Eurogroup agreed to provide Greece with a 7 billion euro short-term loan to keep its finances running until the formal approval of a full bailout. The BBC's Tim Wilcox was in Athens. 
Greece has done its bit. It got that package through Parliament with a majority. The vote coming at 2 a.m. local time. A round of applause for Alexis Tsipras, but all parliamentarians knowing that there's a lot of pain to come over the next three years. But the reward came not only that 7 billion euro uh, bailout or emergency assistance, uh, which is expected to come uh, on Monday, having been ratified or will be ratified, but also an announcement from the ECB uh, boss, Mario Draghi. The European Central Bank boss uh, that the stricken banking sector here would receive 900 million euros in emergency liquidity assistance. Several positive things have happened that would justify us to uh, the increase in ELA that we approved today. Incidentally, I didn't say by how much. We substantially accommodated the request put forward by the Bank of Greece recalibrated over one week. So the increase would be 900 million over one week. A sigh of relief from a lot of people that uh, there is certainty for the time being that Greece remains in the Eurozone. The Eurozone now starting to do its bit in putting money back into this economy. In the U.S., Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen told lawmakers that waiting too long to raise interest rates holds risks for the U.S. economy, along with tightening too quickly. There are risks to the recovery of tightening too soon, and we have been um, highly focused on those risks. We're not talking about tightening monetary policy. I think we're talking about um, slightly diminishing the very high degree of accommodation uh, that we have in place. And, of course, we wouldn't want to do so in a way or at a pace that would threaten continued progress in the labor market. There are risks on both sides. Just as we don't want to tighten um, too soon to threaten the recovery or to jeopardize the return of inflation back to our 2 percent target, we also want to be careful not to tighten too late because if we do that, uh, arguably, we could overshoot both of our goals and be faced with a situation where we would then need to tighten monetary policy um, in a very sharp way. My own preference would be to be able to um, proceed in a, to tighten in a prudent and gradual manner. The Dow rose 70 points to 18,120, while the S&P 500 finished 16 points higher at 2,124. And an upbeat report from Netflix triggered a rally in tech stocks, lifting the Nasdaq by 1.3% to a new high of 5,163. Well, U.S. banks have reported mixed results. Goldman Sachs says that litigation provisions and weaker trading revenue meant its profit more than halved in the second quarter, falling to 916 million U.S. dollars from 1.95 billion a year earlier. JMP Securities banking analyst Devin Ryan told Bloomberg that it was a mixed quarter for Goldman Sachs. It was a pretty mixed quarter. Um, very high litigation expense. It was something that we weren't looking for. I don't think the market was. And so that uh, impacted the headline number. If you, if you take out the litigation, which related to mortgages, um, they did beat. So that was good news. Um, but I think if you, you peel back the onion a little bit, uh, it was still kind of a mixed quarter. Um, 
very strong equity sales and trading. That was consistent with what, with what we saw from all the big banks. Um, very strong investment banking results, so that was good news also. Their fixed income uh, trading was a little bit softer than we were looking for. It was down about 35% year over year. Mm -hmm. So that was more than JP Morgan, more than Bank of America. Exactly. So I think that was the one area that, that stood out. And, and so trying to dig into that, um, I suspect June was probably a tough month for them with all the market volatility. Goldman's also a little bit more levered to some of the micro products like credit and mortgages, and those are the areas that were soft in the quarter. So I think it might have been a little bit of product mix this quarter than you know, Goldman had a, a bigger issue. But it was a different story at Citigroup, which is the third biggest U.S. bank by assets. Uh, Citigroup reported its highest quarterly profit since the financial crisis as restructuring and cost cuts paid off and legal expenses plunged. Citi's net income surged to $4.85 billion from $181 million a year earlier when the bank was hit by a $3.8 billion legal charge. And Google has posted better-than-expected quarterly profits for the first time in the last six quarters, helped by strong growth in advertising revenue. Ad revenue rose 11% to 16.02 billion U.S. dollars in the second quarter, and the number of ads or paid clicks rose 18%, while the average price of online ads fell 11% in the quarter. This was more than offset by the increase in ad volumes. Adrol uh, President Adam Burke gives Bloomberg his take on the growth of Google's mobile advertising vis-a-vis -vis that of Facebook. Yeah, I think it's a situation where the entire pie is growing, so I don't know if I would classify Google as getting killed in mobile advertising. They're still extremely dominant. Um, certainly, I think what we're seeing with Facebook is uh, a new, very compelling option. So certainly the overall tailwinds to the mobile advertising space is, are, are growing rapidly. Um, so you know, Google continues to expand. They're not the, uh, they don't have the monopolistic type position that they did in uh, desktop search, but they're still a very powerful force. And shares in Hong Kong ended higher, and so did those on the mainland after rebounding from sharp falls on Wednesday. All right, let's bring in our first guest of this morning, uh, Relegare Capital Markets Sales Director Adrian Gornall. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Welcome to Money for Nothing. Thank you very much. Adrian, you know, Asian equities are on track for their first week of gains since June. Is the volatility in Chinese stocks now a thing of the past? Um, I, I think one has to look at the uh, the volatility in it from a long-run sort of perspective. I mean, we're not really talking about a, a sort of a, a six-month transition for the Chinese economy and Chinese capital markets to, to the global sphere. Um, uh, Chinese indices still remains um, the, the best performing in the world, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, I, th I, th I think... Um, you know, there's very much a buying opportunity from a long-term perspective. Um, if you look at uh, uh, first-half GDP numbers that came through, you see the 17.4% growth in the finance industry, uh, and I think that underlines the sort of transition to uh, a service-led economy that's taking place at the moment. Yeah, Adrian, you know, Premier Lee says that China is capable of stabilizing market expectations, and Hong Kong Exchange CEO Charles Lee says that China's stock market is the safest in the world. Of course, this is contrary, perhaps, to popular opinion. Would you agree? Well, I, I think one would be churlish to fly in the face of authorities. I mean, the the interesting thing is that the, the, the Chinese domestic market is, is quite isolated. 
Um, I mean, foreign participation is still relatively low. So in many ways, the Chinese authorities are testing their abilities to influence and control the market. So I wouldn't bet against the the regulator there, no. But uh, when you have governments looking to control markets, it can often end in tears. And isn't there a case to say that we had this big rally because the government wanted to have a more of a feel-good factor with the stock market going up. And now we've had the crash and they've had to come in and try and rescue the situation because it ended up in a big bubble. I think it was more about the longer-term integration of, um, of the domestic market into MSCI and global markets. Um, and you're right, um, it, you know, I think some of the short-term volatility would lead to a... Um, uh, perhaps a slightly uh, less aggressive uh, stance in terms of integration from MSCI. Um, however, I think longer term, you know, the the, the ability to control market within China will, will, will be positive. But in trying to put a floor under the market, of course, the governments uh, look to put some liquidity into the market, especially into the banks. Don't you think that some of the those better performances from the banks are actually rather artificial? Yeah, you can definitely argue that. But I, I would just come back to the, um, the, the fact that services will continue to lead. Um, I think with a five-year view, this is exactly where one should be invested relative. Um, and one would also argue that uh, a wholesale collapse of the financial sector would, would be devastating for the global economy. So I, I think that um, you know what the government has done is actually reasonably sort of steady, and um, I think that um, you know it's, it's, it's a positive for investors going forward. Adrian, you know, Hannah G. Thinfilm Power plans to challenge a decision by regulators to suspend trading of its shares. Is this a surprise or is this something that is to be expected in a situation like this? What, the challenge? Is that a surprise? The, the challenge, yes. I, I don't think that's a surprise, but uh, to be honest, uh, it, it's not something that I would look at as an investment. I mean, I think as a foreigner looking in, and this one's very, very connected, um, one has to be very careful. Um, uh, there are secular growth stories, I think, that uh, that long-term are looking very, very good within China. And I think if one focuses on investment, one's investment there, um, one will do very, very well with it in the medium term. So, you know, this is the big question that investors have. I mean, they're interested in investing in China. They're scared off by, you know, a lot of the stories that you hear about uh, situations like Hanaji or the volatility or, you know, uh, the, the government put or so forth. Where should they be looking, and what is uh, what is worth investing in, in your point of view? From your point of view, well, I think one has to look at at the moment, certainly at the eight shares. Um, the eight shares long run will be a, a haven of stability. Um, you certainly won't get the enormous alpha that you might get had you were you able to access the domestic markets yourself. I think there are secular growth stories in. Um, environmental, energy-related, um, the banking sector, um, uh, you know, retail, uh, insurance. These are long-term secular growth stories. I think that will continue to be underpinned by China's um, economic transformation. But then, about what about the A share market? Because of course we've had uh, Stock Connect, so access is much easier now, and that's something that the Chinese government looks as if they want to encourage. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you as an individual can access the market, then then I think, I mean, I'm a value investor personally, uh, and there, there aren't, 
overall, I think there are individual shares one can look at and individual sectors that are appear undervalued on a relative basis within the the domestic shares. Um, I would still tend to favour Hong Kong as, as uh, valuations are fairly compelling. All right, Adrian, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Adrian Gornall, and he is a sales director at Relegar Capital Markets. Uh, time to take a quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is up a quarter of a percent this morning to 20,648 and Australia's ASX 200 index is up 0.05% to 5,652. In currencies, the euro is currently valued at 1.08 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 124.17 yen and one pound sterling buys you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 10 cents or one US dollar and 56 cents. Well, we'll be back to talk more about IT and fintech that's right after this. From 2012, employers will start receiving job applications from candidates with a new academic qualification, the Hong Kong Diploma of Secondary Education, which will form a new basis for recruiting suitable staff. The new diploma will report a student's academic abilities in five levels, with level 5 being the highest. Together with the student learning profile, the diploma will provide employers with an overall picture of the graduates for consideration. The government has taken the lead in recognizing the diploma in recruitment. The time is now 8.20 a.m. and you're listening to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Well, Hong Kong Computer Society and Hong Kong's Institute of Bankers have recently signed a memorandum of understanding that aims for more collaboration between the IT and banking sectors, especially with regard to professional training and development. Let's bring in uh, the Hong Kong Institute of Bankers CEO, Carrie Lung, and the Hong Kong Computer Society's president, Michael Lung. Good morning, Carrie and Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, if uh, you could please let us know up front why the need for this agreement. Carrie? Yes. Um, actually, um, for the banking and the uh, 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 IT sectors has been a very close collaboration in the recent years. And if you look at the um, recent budget speech from um, uh, Mr. John Zhang, our financial secretary, uh, he reconfirms um, the importance of the fintech. So, uh, with that, uh, with that direction, uh, the two institute is working together to uh, make this happen and to assist the development of the industry. So, we also think that uh, training as a function that uh, we should always uh, support the development of the industry. So, this is why we, uh, the two um, associations, get together to develop a more systematic mechanism to enable more talents to get into the industry and also to develop their career in the industry. Michael, can you give us uh, some more specifics on this training program, this education program uh, that uh, the HKCS and the HKIB will be jointly launching? Yeah, um, thank you. The the focus will be very much on what we now talk about uh, called fintech, the financial technology. Now, banks today, in fact, really cannot run without IT, without the technologies. So areas that we will focus going forward will be things like, you know, 
uh, more on one hand the traditional IT uh, focuses like the uh, you know system architecture, mainframe, and all this more more traditional area. But perhaps more importantly are the new areas like you know today we talk about the payment, you know the B to C business to consumer, person to person payment. Uh, O2O, we sometimes talk about uh, online to offline, etc., etc. Those are the new frontiers for the banking industries to go into. And all these areas require very much the IT support. I was at a conference, uh, investment conference in Europe uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, and you always know what the hot topic is because the people who were really funding the conference with all the big stalls were fintech people. Yeah. Uh, and the extraordinary thing is that uh, it's really a very active industry. There are people falling all over e- each other in this particular industry. Um, uh, how are you actually going to make any sort of penetration in an area that's already full of competitors? Well, yeah, yes or no, actually, because uh, you know, as much as uh, New York or London are already quite active in those places, uh, but the, in Hong Kong, I dare say that we are relatively complacent or, or, or you know, slowed in terms of catching up with the fintech. Um, only recently, we we sort of started talking about you know things like e-checks and um, you know this mobile payment and. Uh, you know, behind those things are things like electronic certificates, you know, we call e-cert. So those things are still relatively new in Hong Kong. So I, I must say that there's still a lot of space there, a lot of room to, uh, to develop in Hong Kong. Carrie, Hong Kong is a major international financial center. Why is it falling behind London, New York, and even mainland China, you say, in terms of the application of technology? Well, to answer your question, I think there are two parts. First of all, um, I see the, um, the, the bank, fintech in Hong Kong, they're the front end and also the back end. If you talk about the back end, uh, which runs the operations of the bank, it's getting more complicated with uh, regulatory developments and also, um, and also banking uh, is becoming more increasingly uh, complicated and there's also cross-jurisdictional. So um, in the past, I see that uh, banks have been invested a lot in this area. It's just that it's behind the scene and uh, it's not at the front, so not many customers will see how much we have invested. But what- on, yeah, sorry. On the other hand, for the front end, uh, we see that uh, uh, this is what we call the, re- um, the retail IT, the IT retail. So uh, it, it's driven by you and me as a user. So banks always want to do business in more places and using more devices and, and make it more efficient. However, this part, I think we still have a lot of rooms to improve, as Michael just mentioned. So I think uh, in Hong Kong banking industry, we are ready to develop more innovative ideas uh, to incorporate um, different um, you know, experiences from over the world to improve the customer experience. But as, so, as, as banks get bigger, you're going to need bigger entities to support them. And very often uh, banks have headquarters elsewhere and they're going to be sourcing their IT from elsewhere. How, first of all, how are we going to get the scale to make any difference? And secondly, are there any particular little areas that you think we should maybe focus on just to try and mm. enter the market? 
Yeah. Um, maybe yeah, I, maybe I, I, yeah. Uh, Michael I think, first. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, there are international banks all over the place, but uh, uh, those banks, uh, you know, I can name a few of them. They they actually headquartered elsewhere, but the they also allow the local subsidiaries or branches to develop some local products, you know, to the local favors. Um, for example, you mentioned uh, any particular area. Perhaps I should really mention one then, which is the P2P we call it today. You know, this is a very obvious, very conspicuous uh, void, you know, in Hong Kong. Persian to Persian payment, for example. After a round of uh, golf or, or a, a dinner party, how do you pay each other, right? How do you pay each other? Either by cash or in my case, I often ask for the account number, send me over the WeChat and, uh, you know, send it over the WeChat or WhatsApp and then I, 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 I know I credit it, I, I, you know, put it back to your account later on. Now, but in other part of the world, this sort of P2P payment is already very mature. Just cross the border, you know, in mainland China, people can pay each but other But, Michael, wouldn't easily. it be easier just to import that kind of technology from overseas and bring it in into Hong Kong? Strictly speaking, you're right. In fact, we are importing those technologies. And, uh, in fact, in my bank, I happen to be working for a bank, and we are actually borrowing the same technology from the mainland to apply it here. The only, ho- the only obstacle is now getting through the, the regulator. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Michael Lung, and he is the CIO of the Hong Kong Computer Society, president and CIO. And uh, Carrie Lung is the CEO of the Hong Kong Institute of Bankers. Well, here we are at the 8.28 mark. It's time to take a look at the numbers. The Nikkei is up a quarter of a percent to 20,648. Australia's ASX 200 index is up 0.05% to 5,652. Gold currently stands at $1,143.54 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $56.92. Well, here we are. It's the end of another week. Richard, you're back and lots of exciting things are happening. Which ones are most important for us to keep our eyes on? Well, I don't know about exciting. The two tedious uh, uh, subjects, Greece and U.S. interest rates, have been wandering around for the year. We've heard a lot about Greece in the last three weeks. I kind of think that after Janet Yellen's uh, talk uh, yesterday and the day before that US interest rates may come back into the scene uh, and we could actually see a period of dollar strength. And is that not exciting? That could be exciting (laughs) for some people. Usually it's quite good for Asia, Asian stock markets. Okay, Richard, thanks so much. And you have a great weekend and a great birthday to start it off. Thank you very much. Great to have you back. And uh, thank you all for listening to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. And a big thank you, of course, to Sandra Lam, our producer. Before we sign off, let's take a quick look at the weather. Uh, Today will be cloudy with showers and a few thunderstorms. The maximum temperature will be around 31 degrees. Currently, the temperature is 27 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 91%. Time for the half-hour news summary right now with Judd Boas. The Batman gunman James Holmes has been found guilty of murder in the first degree over the killings of 12 cinema-goers in the American state of Colorado in 2012. 70 people were also injured. More from the BBC's David Willis in Los Angeles. 
Well, this, of course, is very bad news for James Holmes. Uh, he had pleaded not guilty uh, by, on the grounds of insanity. Well, it appears that the jury is uh, rejecting that claim, and that means that uh, he stands the, a very good chance of spending the rest of his life in prison or uh, possibly facing the death sentence, something that he had clearly uh, wanted to avoid. Had they backed uh, James Holmes' contention that uh, he was not guilty on the grounds of insanity, then he would have been committed to a mental institution somewhere in Colorado uh, for probably the rest of his life. But they've rejected that claim, and uh, it seems that uh, they are finding uh, James Holmes guilty of uh, all of the charges they've gone through so far. A gunman has killed four U.S. Marines in an attack on two naval buildings in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Officials have called it an act of domestic terrorism, but they've said investigators are looking into whether the gunman may have been inspired by Islamic State or a similar group. The FBI has identified him as Muhammad Yusuf Abdulaziz, with one TV channel saying he was a naturalized U.S. citizen born in Kuwait. The BBC's Gary O'Donoghue is in Washington. In the space of half an hour, a man armed with multiple weapons attacked two facilities in Chattanooga. He killed four Marines and was shot dead at the second location. Eyewitnesses reported hearing a barrage of gunfire and seeing a man driving a silver Mustang car. Three people, including a police officer, are being treated in hospital. Chattanooga's mayor, Andy Burke, described it as a vicious attack. And the Tennessee governor, Bill Haslam, said he was sickened and saddened by the killing of people who were serving their country.